The cost of living crisis, inflation at a 40-year high of 9.4% in the UK as the cost of living crisis mounts, whilst oil and gas companies break all-time record profits. In today's episode, I'm going to try and make sense of the realities of the cost of living crisis, explore some of the root causes, and examine some of the possible solutions to resolve the crisis. Now, before I get started, we've faced in the past month an unbelievable wave of censorship and shadow bans where our content has been suppressed simply for pushing the edges of public discourse around some of the most pressing issues facing humanity and addressing some of the important questions around systemic change. So to help us, please uh, please do comment on this episode if you're watching live, hit the share button, and if you haven't done so already, visit danastongregory.com forward slash podcast to join our mailing list to make sure you don't miss a beat. Now, this is a seriously hot topic at present. We are witnessing uh, record levels of inflation, certainly since the uh, 80s, with households now suffering uh, major hits to their uh, disposable income. There is some serious uh, play in the economy right now that is causing uh, dramatic effects. And meanwhile, uh, many organizations are profiting at record level. So it's a cost of living to the many, but a bonanza to the few. Uh, in this episode, we're going to explore what's causing this and what we can do about it. So economists are already warning that inflation has not yet reached its peak with another round of energy bill uh, increases expected in October, anticipating that this is likely to push inflation even higher. So during this episode, I'm going to explore what inflation means and what we can do uh, to tackle inflation and why there's a bit of a paradox around the usual implements to tackle inflation versus the specific circumstances that have led to the uh, situation that we find ourselves in. Now, the cost of living crisis is already facing is already impacting rather millions of households in the UK. It's set to worsen. It's predicted by January 2023 that energy bills will hit somewhat close to somewhere between £4,000 and £5,000 a year for the average home. This equates to monthly bills increasing somewhere between £350 and £500, uh, up from today's average of around £160 per month. Now, it's a bill rise that even some of the wealthier households will start to feel. Uh, but as always, it's the poorer uh, elements of society that will be hardest hit. But the reality is this is now chipping away significantly at the middle class. Now, I mentioned that the uh, forecasters are expecting inflation to increase even further. It's anticipated off the back of the next round of price hikes around the gas prices that inflation will hit 13, over 13 percent. Uh, in the last quarter of this year. That is astronomical uh, and uh, clearly way ahead of the Bank of England's usual target of 2%. Um, so firstly, let's define inflation. Now, inflation is simply represent, uh, is, is, a, is a measure of the price of goods, of the increase in price of goods and services within an economy. Now, in high inflation environments, it usually means that people have lower disposable incomes because their wages, their earnings usually fail to track the rise of, rise of prices. Now, the problem we are facing now uh, is that we are experiencing what's known as a cost push inflation, whereby um, the inflation is not being determined by 
the, the general rise of price of goods or the wage growth, um, but it's specific forms of costs that are driving uh, the inflation. And this makes it very tricky when it comes to policy determinants. Um, now, it's been a long time since I studied economics, but economics was what uh, my degree was in. It gives me a foundational knowledge to be able to comment on these things. Um, but it's been some time that I'll go through the debt. But I want to keep things simple for you. Um, we are currently seeing inflation at levels that we haven't seen for decades. We've already talked about that. Now, what is the primary cause? Well, the primary cause is the soaring energy prices, rising gas, electricity, motor fuel prices, and as some some foods are driving uh, the overall um, consumer price index. Now, the consumer price index is a effectively it's the measure of a it's the measure of the aggregate price rise of a basket of goods and services. Uh, and including a whole variety of different things that uh, comprise of the kind of UK shopping uh, and purchaser con uh, consumer habits. But it's very explicit that the, the, the price rises are being driven by rising utilities, fuel and food. Now, there are, of course, other things that are contributing to this because it's a knock on effect when fuel prices go up, utility prices go up. Of course, if you're a business, that puts an impact on your, your, your own costs. So then, of course, businesses start to raise their own prices and it creates this ripple effect that can spiral out of control if it's not, uh, not uh, if there's not an intervention. So I'm going to speak about what some of those possible interventions might be throughout this podcast. But you'll see by the end of this podcast, if you tune into the end, that it's, it's a very complica complex environment uh, when it comes to solutions. Um, now, we have to address what is driving the wholesale gas prices to rise in the way that they are. Now, um, it's very easy to signpost that, oh, it's the Ukraine-Russia conflict with Russia being a key international gas supplier. And it is true that Russia supply around 40% of Europe's overall gas. Uh, it's less so in the UK, 4 to 5%. But uh, it's, it's, whilst these are clearly factors in driving the prices up, there is a multitude of factors that are driving up the, pro the prices of uh, fuel, gas, uh, electric, uh, and we'll talk about those in a moment. Now, the first is that clearly, if you can't remember what's gone on the last couple of years, we have had one of the most dramatic interventions into our, uh, our, our way of life in, in peacetime history. The, the effects of the pandemic response cannot be underestimated. And throughout the pandemic, many people warned of the economic impacts of uh, the response to COVID. But due to the hysteria and the uh, 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 over uh, inflammation, uh, um, the over exaggeration of the impact of COVID meant that economic arguments meant no sense. But it's clear that the economic impact is now taking full effect. So as well as the health impact, it's brought huge social and economic upheaval. Um, we've already seen billions wasted in public money during the last couple of years, let alone the multi-billion pound costs of furlough uh, and the various other costs that have just poured out of the public coffers. Now, this has caused an enormous level of economic fragility, which the country and the economy is ill-prepared for. And as a result, now the cost of living crisis is going to be felt even harder. Uh, the reality is, when it comes to energy supply, lockdowns, reduced 
um, the demand for energy. So it led to a decline in supply. But then as soon as the restrictions were eased, demand jumped up again, pricing upward pressure on prices. But clearly, the mismanagement of the pandemic is having an aggregate negative effect on our economy as we uh, currently stand. Now, weather, we're currently feeling a little warmer in the UK, but we had an unusually cold winter in 2020 to 2021, uh, and particularly in parts of Asia, which saw demand for energy rocketing up, of course, which drives the international wholesale markets up, has an impact on supply and therefore prices. So the cost of gas was already going through the roof long before Russia invaded Ukraine. Now, uh, we've seen the economic resurgence as well post-COVID, whereby manufacturing, distribution sectors kicked back in, triggering a huge surge in demand again for uh, energy, again, putting upward pressure on prices. We've seen regulatory impacts. We've seen more than 30 UK energy suppliers going bust since the start of last year due to the rise in wholesale gas prices, uh, leaving over 2 million customers dependent on the safety net of the market regulator Ofgem. Um, because these uh, companies went under. Uh, we've seen uh, the environmental um, mission driving demand on renewable energies. However, um, the renewables are not yet able to provide sufficient power, meaning continued reliance on gas, uh, which obviously is eye-wateringly expensive. We've seen supply chain impacts on gas. Lorry drivers, etc., need fuel. Uh, and we've seen... Um, the resurgence of distribution, the cost of distribution increasing, the cost of goods increasing. Uh, so again, this is putting pressure on gas prices, food production, agriculture, uh, all of these things, high energy consumptions uh, also contributing to the pressures. Commodity prices, the prices of raw materials have increased due to escalating transport and distribution costs. Uh, and again, um, many of the different commodities coming out of Ukraine uh, Russia, um, uh, we've seen obviously those exports now suppressed. So there have been cost pressures um, within the economy since lockdowns, since mid-2020, 2021. So there are various factors that have led to the price hikes of, in the wholesale gas and oil markets, um, which is only partly attributable to Russia, Ukraine. Yes, it's had an impact because, of course, if it's exporting, uh, if Europe is importing 40% of its gas from Russia, then, of course, the, the countries in Europe are then looking for other sources and it, it creates scarcity. But we have to remember that this is a political, once again, a political decision. Western sanctions on Russia, the, 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 the negotiations around gas supply, this is a self-inflicted problem. Let's ask ourselves questions. What impact have the sanctions had on the conflict in Russia and Ukraine? Does it appear to have any way stemmed the conflict? All the money being spent on weapons for, to support Ukraine, does that appear to be affecting any end of the conflict? This isn't a conversation about the conflict, but it's to recognize that it's been made a scapegoat for the, hike, the hikes in prices of gas. Now, we need to start asking bigger questions here because this the reality is this, the mismanagement of the pandemic, and again, I know people see it all differently, but if, you, if you're if you watching the Elevate podcast, the chances are you've been with us with a pandemic podcast where we've looked critically at this thing 
400, 500 episodes in the last two years examining the politics, the science, the, the data, the economics. It was evident that the mismanagement of the pandemic was going to cause enormous upheaval, enormous uh, uh, crisis that is far bigger than the impact of COVID itself. We're now starting to feel that, and it's only just the beginning. We have to recognize that it is our institutions and the leaders that they that represent uh, that 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 uh, manage those institutions and lead those institutions, including our governments, that have created the situation that we find ourselves in right now. And who is the ones? Who are the ones suffering? It's not just the poor. It's every one of us, us who are suffering as a result of decisions that are made by politicians and national leaders, including the conflict that we're now witnessing in Russia and Ukraine. So we know that the energy markets have been affected by a variety of uh, factors, but most of those factors are political decisions that have gone wrong further down the line. So we are now experiencing the true cost, the true impact of political mismanagement of not just the last two years, but probably many years. And you can start to fall into the trap of the left and the right. Let's not go down that road. The reality is this is a political problem that is far bigger than the simple left and right argument. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, let's talk about the uh, these, these off-gem price cap increases. Why are off-gem? Why is the energy regulator increasing uh, the prices again uh, later this year? Well, the reality is the, um, the, the wholesale market costs, which is where the energy distribution companies purchase the uh, gas and the supplies from, have gone up so significantly that if the... Um, the people we pay our bills to don't increase the price, they will be uh, losing money on the, or hypothetically losing money, we'll come to that, because uh, the, the, there are 30, 31 companies that have gone under because the costs of uh, purchasing uh, the, the, the gas uh, exceeded what they could uh, gather in revenues. However, there are many, many companies, as we'll see in a minute, that are profiting from this situation, because on one hand, you've got the suppliers and then you've got the distributors who are also profiting from this. So um, the the, the off-gem increase is really designed uh, to protect the um, the, the, the company, uh, the distribution companies from the um, huge uh, wholesale increase in prices, which have gone up over three hundred percent. Now, this is not a defense of the move. Um, don't don't get me wrong on this point. I'm just trying to explain the reason why these prices have gone up. Now, simultaneously. The profits of big businesses and executives have soared. It's energy prices that is driving the current inflationary pressures in the UK and around the world. Yet corporate profits in the UK have increased um, 34% since the on onset of COVID-19. And 90% of those profit increases are made by the top 25 multinationals. Now, that's looking more broadly at the um, those that have profited from the pandemic. But let's look at let's look, for example, in, in the energy sector, the largest oil and gas producers made close to hundred billion dollars in the first quarter of 2022 in profit. A hundred billion dollars in the first quarter alone. Earlier this month, BP reported mammoth profits of six point nine billion for a single three month period, a company record. The BP chief financial officer went on record in February as saying, certainly it's possible that we're getting more cash than we know what to do with. Well, it's fascinating that BP have more cash than they know what to do with, whilst many of uh, the citizens in this country and around Europe and the rest of the world are suffering. 
But BP rubbing their hands in glee uh, or have a very different experience where they're drowning in so much cash they don't know what to do with it. Uh, now, British gas owner Central Care reported half year uh, group profits of 1.3 billion, five times more than they made just a year earlier. Uh, Shell, Europe's largest oil company, reported record profits of nearly 10 billion for the April to June period, triple what it made 12 months earlier. The average net profit margin for oil and gas production was 4.7% at the beginning of 2021. It's 31.3% by the end of the year. Um, now, industry critics rightly say that oil and gas profits would be better spent on lowering energy prices. So, and this is the important point around Ofgem because at the same time, Ofgem are, you know, that they're, they're basically showing weakness in the face of this profiteering. Ofgem are increasing these uh, price caps, which mean that the energy suppliers in the UK can increase their prices, i.e. charge us more for our gas and electric. Um, industry critics are saying that the profits should be used to lower uh, gas and electric prices for consumers, whilst guess what? <laughs> Energy company investors and company owners have strongly disagreed, pressing for increased share repurchases and dividends, i.e. extracting more of the profit for their own uh, good. Now, I, ha <laughs> I have to clarify here. I've spent the last 10 years in business, in entrepreneurship, driving, helping and supporting entrepreneurs to grow their businesses, to increase their profits. But we're facing an unprecedented situation here where major conglomerates not the small guy, not the small company, not the entrepreneurial venture. The big conglomerates are profiting exceptionally from multiple back-to-back -back crises. Uh, and in fact, this whole situation, the crisis that <laughs> began the response to the pandemic last year, followed by Ukraine, Russia, and now a new crisis that's been manufactured on top of that, which is the cost of living crisis, because it is manufactured. If we think about it, the cost rises in gas, uh, and electric and fuel and food are all being created by this mismanagement over the last couple of years. Uh, and how much of that profit is passed on to the consumer in the prices? Well, absolutely nothing. So how is inflation right now impacting people's lives? Well, as it turns out, 14.5 million people, as a result of what's gone in the last couple of years, are now in poverty, considered in poverty, including 4.3 million children. Now, they're going to be a, a significantly... Uh, worse affected by this situation. Prices are going up. Wages aren't moving with it. Many people aren't able to cover the necessities of life. And it's not just the poorest elements of society. It's the middle class as well. And the higher echelons of society are also being affected by this. Um, estimates for the, the poorest segments of society are showing outgoings could reach 130% of income for, for, a, for, for a major segment of our uh, our, our UK, UK citizenship. Food banks are already running out of food. Uh, and this is in, in the summer months where people aren't having to heat their homes like they will in the winter. We're seeing homelessness on the rise. People are forced out of their homes. UK rental prices are increasing. Uh, the, the health burden, which has mostly been felt upon the children, elderly and disabled and vulnerable groups is increasing as a result of this, this, this crisis. The mental health uh, crisis that we're already facing post-pandemic is now being exacerbated, anxiety and depression going through the roof. Uh, relationships are breaking down. Financial stress is causing breakdowns in people's relationships. Now, we know that this is clearly having an adverse impact upon society in the UK. 
meanwhile, we are seeing major conglomerates making rec not just some profit, record profits during this time. Now, the big question, the, the big challenge here economically is as follows. We've got increasing levels of inflation. They're forecast to continue to grow. But the inflation itself is not a reflection of the overall market inflation. It is a reflection of a, a subset of simple commodities, food, gas, electric, petrol. So the economy could be stagnating. We're lagging in productivity, low economic growth. This is now going to be compounded by the cost of living crisis. But this is a difficult situation because essentially it represents what we call stagflation, which is where we've got the rising, rising costs, rising prices rather, whilst the economic activity is not growing. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's very difficult because if you're in a normal period of economic growth where there's uh, excess inflation, there are lots of different policy implements that can actually start to curb back that inflation to normal levels. Now, the difficulty of doing this as we'll talk about in a minute, is some of the traditional methods of reducing inflation also have a negative impact on the underlying economy. And that's the very real situation that we're facing now. So already some of the decisions that have been taken by the Bank of England when it comes to our interest rates, whilst I appreciate very difficult decisions, are already going to make the situation worse. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But again, uh, it was clear that we would see an initial resurgence in growth when the uh, doors opened again to society post-pandemic, but that was never going to be sustained. There was always going to be a, an initial surge, and that was never going to be a predictor of the enduring growth that we were going to see. Um, but but consumer you know, prices were clearly going to go up on the back of supply chain bottlenecks. This was all predictable. Um, all of this created pressure for banks, uh, central banks, to raise interest rates. Now, the problem is, as we've already seen, the interest rates are now being driven up at rapid rate. We've had six consecutive interest rate rises, which is going to put pressure on homeowners. Mortgage prices are going to go up. It's going to put pressure on people who have uh, personal debt, uh, and it's going to make it harder for people to borrow money. So again, in terms of economic growth, these have detrimental impacts on economic growth. So we have to remember that the economic inflation is being caused by a single set of uh, metrics, gas, electric, petrol, food, all of which are the companies of which the suppliers are making record profits. So the the decision to, 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 to increase interest rates is affecting a lot more people. It's having a lot more harm than intervening in the markets whereby uh, um, several companies are effectively causing uh, the, the, the major problems for, 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 for the whole. Uh, so it's once again, the few benefiting was not just the many, the whole suffer. Now, when it comes to intervening in markets like this, the difficult thing is, as we've witnessed for the last couple of years, is many of those who have been critical of the response to the pandemic, including myself, have taken, you could describe it taking a more libertarian view upon on the situation, meaning we want to see lower intervention from governments. But this isn't about a desire to see lower intervention from governments when it comes to the pandemic response. It, it comes from taking a pragmatic view on what the underlying risk is, who's likely to be affected by the risk, and making decisions accordingly based upon the short and long-term cost-benefit uh, probabilities, all of which were just thrown out of the window during the course of the pandemic. So this isn't about being a libertarian or taking a libertarian approach. That's a fallacy when it comes to the pandemic response. However, 
if we look at the libertarian ideology when it comes to market intervention, the idea behind most libertarian uh, uh, theory is that we want to see governments or libertarians want to see governments to intervene less in markets. That means uh, that they would prefer to allow the market to, to determine what the uh, price will become. Now, in situations like this, and I'll, I'll give an example for you, uh, if, and, you know, we've covered over the last two years the flaws and uh, uh, wonky science around masks, that's putting it light, lightly, but let's take an example of masks in a pandemic as an example of how allowing the market to determine the price plays out. So, Let's say at the beginning there's a there's a there's a breaking new virus and there's a panic. Sounds familiar. Uh, well, of course the healthcare providers are going to want to make sure they've got adequate PPE whilst they assess the situation. Now, of course, that puts an increase in demand because it's a new uh, a new um, potential threat. Therefore, the demand increases for masks. In those environments, supply may stay the same. Uh, as a result, the price of the mask is likely to go up. That's what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. But lo and behold, all of these new providers enter the marketplace, some of which the government contracted, people who have never had anything to do with masks before, uh, classic cronyism, uh, but, but more providers flooded the market and the price then came back down. Now, I use that example to illustrate the market forces where there is a, uh, a, a surge in demand and a potential scarcity of supply. Now, we're not currently seeing a surge in demand, although uh, uh, we, we let me rephrase that. We're not seeing a, a, a surge in demand for gas and electric compared to prior years, but we are seeing a surge in demand prior to what we've seen for the last two years, where basically the economy is shut down. But the, diff the difference here is where in the example of the mask, you can see a whole number of new providers coming into the market to flood the market with goods and therefore drive down the prices. The reality is the same is not true when it comes to public goods like gas and electric. You know, so just allowing the market to be the prices to be gouged, meaning that the, uh, the, the, the providers are driving up the prices in order to profit. The argument that more suppliers are going to enter the market to drive down the prices again is false because the wholesale price is the problem that's that's rising uh, behind the, the, the overall price rises of the energy distribution companies. So it's a fallacy to say that if we don't intervene in the market, the market will correct itself. It may do once these long-term variables even out. But in the meantime, we have a very real problem where consumers and citizens are suffering and will continue to suffer. The economy will suffer. Meanwhile, a very small group of multinationals will continue to prosper. So uh, as gas and electric is an essential good and cannot be easily substituted, then demand is known as, in, you know, the economic term for this is where demand for the services is inelastic, i.e. Uh, demand will not change. People might start making decisions, and this is the other libertarian argument, and there's, there's validity to this one, uh, is that when prices rise, people naturally conserve the goods. So where there is already scarcity in the market, and it's not actually... Uh, um, you know, Britain itself doesn't have a scarcity of supply, but in the global market, there is a scarcity based upon demands and the fact that we've got this Russia situation and these new surges, as we've already explained for the last couple of years. Um, but in this situation, uh, we uh, are, are obviously seeing a constraint, which means that um, 
prices have gone up. Now, uh, the un unintended consequences of the interest rates going up, as I've talked about, mean that we are seeing uh, problems when it comes to the costs of borrowing. Um, and at this point, people don't have an alternative. It's not like they can go and buy their gas and electric from other companies because they're all they're all uh, suffering from the same problem. So we've got this very real issue whereby inflation is being caused by a handful of problem uh, companies. Raising interest rate, it doesn't actually address the, the root problem because it's a handful of companies driving this problem. It actually causes the higher probability of uh, prices going up even further because businesses start to struggle. We actually create a deflationary pressure rather than a, a growth, uh, which is what we need post-pandemic. Um, so it's it's a very tricky predicament. Uh, so as I said, the the the, um, the idea that um, market forces will reduce consumption is is true. People will naturally conserve energy, but the reality is because it's a, a general need, it's not going to have a major effect on the prices. So the question is, what is the government currently doing? Well, um, Rishi uh, Sunak, in his current role of Chancellor. Uh, uh, confirmed a £400 windfall payment that every household in Great Britain will receive towards the cost of energy bills. Uh, this is called the Energy Bill Support Scheme. Uh, the cash will not need to be repaid. It's going to automatically be added to people's uh, household energy accounts over the six months, starting from October when the new price cap kicks in. Um, there's cost of living payments. Uh, Eight million households on a means-tested benefits will receive a payment of £650 paid into instalments. Uh, the first installments have already been paid, it seems. Um, there's certain qualifying criteria to qualify for that based upon the receipt of certain benefits. Um, uh, it's also going to be automatically paid. Uh, there's a rise in benefit payments for certain benefit payments. There's other financial support that the government have put together in terms of um, uh, the national insurance contribution thresholds. There's a household support fund that has doubled from 500 million to a billion, taking effect from April this year. Uh, council tax, um, people in bands A to D, uh, households in bands A to D are receiving a £150 rebate. This has already taken effect. There's a 5p per litre cut on fuel duty. Um, this has already taken effect. And from 2024, there will be a, a 1p cut in the pound on the basic uh, rate of income tax. However, that's way down the track. Uh, all of these measures, by the way, should be taken in the context that real pay is falling because wages are actually falling. Uh, the latest data shows that wages fell by 0.9% during this period. So on one hand, we've got uh, our cost of living inflation going up by over 9%, predicting to go to 13%. Um, regular pay has fallen this year. Um, the total pay, including bonus schemes, has, has reduced 0.9% during this period. And again, this is the aggregate data. The big executives of these big firms who have profited solidly for the last two years have got massive pay hikes uh, whilst most people are experiencing a reduction in in their uh, wages now the reality of this means that once you account for inflation the disposable income begins to really be uh, really suffer uh, and it's my prediction that as more and more people feel the pinch more and more people actually start to feel the impact of the cost of living crisis we're going to see growing uh, discontent within society and already um, there's, a, there's a group I came across today called Enough is Enough. They're planning uh, protests all over the UK around the cost of living crisis. There's a whole manner of unease, which I think is going to rise into civil unrest at, at scale over the next few months. So um, 
in addition to the support the government has put together, the government has also, due to much pressure, imposed a windfall tax on those companies that are profiteering from this. A 25% windfall tax has been implemented uh, on the UK energy firms for the next 12 months. Sunak initially resisted it, as did uh, Boris Johnson, um, but uh, this has now been imposed. Um, gas and electric companies, gas and oil companies already pay a significantly higher level of uh, corporation tax than most other companies. They pay 30% versus 19. Uh, so this windfall tax has driven that up considerably. Um, but the reality is it's it's not going to make a major dent in, in, in their profits. Um, now, the argument against uh, some of these things is around how um, it could detract from investment in the UK or it could detract from businesses investing in renewable energies. But the reality is how much of it, when, when you've got the investors and the owners of these companies, uh, the chief shareholders do, <laughs> requesting dividends, it's not really likely that many of this prop, much of this profit would go into reinvestment. And we have to ask ourselves what proportion of profits are currently being reinvested and is it realistic that in the absence of this windfall tax, these companies would really put the investment into 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 new new renewable development i have serious doubts um now uh the reality is this type of uh, intervention is only a short-term intervention um labor are suggesting that the energy price cap be kept to its minimum level um of uh 1971 rather than let it rise as expected in autumn even higher next year uh, Labour arguing this is a fully funded policy, although, again, there's lots of scepticism around that. Um, many are saying it's unworkable. However, there does need to be some thinking around the off-gem price cap because the reality is companies could easily be reinvesting their profits to ensure uh, lower prices for consumers. So it's a really tricky situation. I've spent the afternoon trying to make sense of this crisis. It's messy. It's dark it's going to be challenging um, and in terms of resolution there are some options available now in the UK which will alleviate some of the pain but some people are going to feel this incredibly hard and there's not really an adequate safety net for uh, certain groups and certainly elements of the middle class are going to really start to feel this in ways that they've never felt before um, now that comes with benefits because often the middle class are the group that are most comfortable and therefore less likely to take action, least likely to take action uh, when it comes to public policy. So perhaps the main benefit is that we will see some of that civil discontent directed to real systemic change because the reality is what we're facing now undeniably is a function of years of mismanagement, certainly within the context of the pandemic response but even prior to that but also the nature of the way the game is set up for, for small numbers of corporates like this to not only have vast influence over our public lives and our uh, political policies but to now rub it in our faces off the back of the suffering that many people have gone through for the last couple of years to now profiteer at record levels something is not right and something has to change and we cannot rely on the existing political leaders to be the ones to make that change so we do have to take the power into our own hands there are company there are campaign groups out there as i mentioned uh, and many of these are highly politicized based upon their political leanings you've got the enough enough is enough campaign uh, which is targeting uh, over 50 rallies in, across britain uh, next starting next week they're, they're asking for a real pay rise uh, slashing energy bills, ending food poverty, decent homes for all, tax the rich and big businesses. 
there's always going to be political division around these things. You've got the Don't Pay UK campaign, which is seeking to drive a million signatures to people who will commit to reducing their, uh, to, to, to eliminating their direct debit. Now, again, this is another campaign that's been highly politicized. There's lots of questions around who's running it. But the reality, the premise is consumer pressure on these organizations and on governments is really what we need right now. You know, even if you're the most staunch libertarian who doesn't believe in uh, market intervention, well, then let the public intervene by going direct to the organizations because uh, there's nothing in the libertarian manifestos that say the consumer can't take responsibility in their own hands. And I think this is the direction it's going to have to go uh, because the government's hands, it seems, are tied. Therefore, people will need to take their action. What type of action is best to solve this problem? Despite hours of research today, I haven't found the best solutions, but I'm curious to explore this more. Um, my eyes have been opened significantly today in preparing for this conversation. So whilst there are some initial support out there put forward by the governments, many see that this is not going far enough. And towards the overall sentiment that is taking place right now, where you've got global organizations who have a huge influence over our daily lives, now profiting from this situation, now driving forward uh, a, a narrative around the Great Reset, we have to be asking big systemic questions about where do we go from here. And my personal view is that we have to take matters into our own hands and we have to take responsibility for determining our own destiny, which is why in the coming weeks, uh, we will be coming out on tour in the UK. We're taking part in a Raise the Nation tour where we seek to rally people behind the idea of creating political transformation, but also to give people inspiration that we can take the power into our own hands. We do need to start becoming active participants in change. We cannot be passive observers of the problems as they unfold around us. We've got to take explicit action. And uh, it's, it's going to take um, real focus to determine solutions to problems like this. But my metaphor is always that we have the answers in the room. And I believe that uh, citizen-led solutions are the key here. Uh, enough is enough of placing our authority in the hands of the government, uh, you know, holding out uh, hope for saviors to come in the political realm or, or, or anywhere else. The reality is the people have the power. We also have the solutions if we look for them. And it's my belief that we can co-develop solutions, co-create solutions to these problems, tackle each one piece by piece, on a local level, on a national level, we can make a difference. Uh, we live in a global world, and the reality is the problems we're facing today aren't isolated to the UK. We need to be cooperating across borders and working with grassroots organizations in different countries who are tackling some of the same issues. So I'm very excited. There's a tough road ahead, undoubtedly. What we're facing right now, the challenges people are facing, uh, they're only going to get more challenging. We need to brace ourselves for that. We need to prepare ourselves. But at the same time, we can take uh, the power into our own hands. Now, uh, if the cost of living is going to continue to rise, then there are some things that people can do right now to look at uh, influencing their income. Um, during times like this, economically, people's uh, the, the key is to put demands on your employer to increase your pay. Uh, there's always a lag between the costs, the, the rising prices and inflation generally, and the uh, bargaining process for increased pay. Now's the time to ask for a pay rise. Now's the time to be meeting with your employer if you're in a job um, or look to move jobs, change careers, look to take an opportunity that uh, offers greater earning capacity. 
Uh, the good news is right now there are more vacancies this year than there was this time last year. So uh, there is greater there are greater job openings. So possibly the opportunity to look for for new uh, a new job or a new career path at this stage. Time to start a business. Time to look at investing in different assets. Time to develop new income streams. Time to reduce costs, perhaps. Time to shop around on some of the existing commitments, whether it's mortgages, insurances, and some of the key. Um, um, monthly costs that you're currently facing. The reality is, uh, I've been through times like this before. When when I was uh, I worked in financial services in 2008 during the last major recession, and I witnessed firsthand how during times like this, people bury their head under the sand and kind of wait for the storm to pass. And as a result, many people get caught up in the storm and they lose their livelihoods. They suffer. And my message here is: do not bury your head in the sand. Now is the time to take stock on your own circumstances and make decisions today that can influence your future tomorrow. You do have the capacity. I do believe in the innate human power of ingenuity and creativity to solve complex problems, not only on a societal scale, planetary scale, but on an individual level. So part of the message when we get out on the Raise the Nation tour will be about how you can take agency over the, your own personal destiny as well as contributing to social political change economic change because we have to take our own futures into our hands as well as uh, the wider societal challenges that we're facing and i do believe we have the power to do that many people out there now are uh, evaluating their life's choices they're looking at what what they want to do to make an impact in the world perhaps now is the time to make a decision that could actually alter your future uh, for the better so there are things we can do individually regardless of what's going on in the macro environment and we're going to start exploring more of these things not only on the raise the nation tour but within the uh, elevate network which we've created to explore uh ideas share big ideas share resources share solutions uh, become a platform for change so if you haven't already joined our uh, our platform uh, the elevate network you can go to weareelevate.org uh, we've got a fantastic event coming up this wednesday evening it's a three-hour bumper event don't worry we're gonna have a break in between um, but it's called the Financial Reset and uh, Crypto. We're going to be exploring the forthcoming uh, Financial Reset and what it means, uh, how it's unfolding, and how some of the things we've discussed today are part of that overall Financial Reset and where it could be going, what it means for fiat currency, what it means for crypto, what it means for the, uh, the, the, the future of decentralized finance. Is crypto the solution? Are there things you can do now to protect your finances? other things you can do now to protect your assets we're going to be looking at all of that in a three-hour special on wednesday uh, inside the elevate network it's a members only event so uh, if you're not a member yet you can join as a member as part of the sign up process from as little as five pounds per month that helps us to build our momentum as an organization uh, it costs us a lot of money to create the content and run the network uh, so we're looking to recoup our costs by uh, building the membership program or you can build a, a purchase a standalone ticket and if finances are a barrier during this time of course just send us an email or we'll make sure you don't miss out. So look out for that this Wednesday, 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. There'll be a, mid <laughs> a midway break. Don't worry, we're not going to go for three hours straight, but it's going to be a fully interactive event about the financial reset and whether crypto is a route out of this. What role does it play? Uh, what role does Bitcoin play? We're going to explore all these subjects as well as what actions you can take now uh, to uh, uh, drive change in your own personal financial reality. So look forward to seeing you then and uh, watch this space. We've got lots more content on this subject. Thanks for tuning in. Please hit the share button. As I mentioned at the beginning, we are facing an awful lot of censorship as we tackle these issues. Our content's been shadow banned. We're constantly getting stories from our usual subscribers saying they're not getting the notifications. They're not seeing our content in the feed. 
and, and this, the, these, are, these are from people who have watched hundreds of our videos in the last couple of years. So uh, if you join our um, Elevate network, you'll be on our mailing list and we'll keep you up to date with the content. Uh, if you don't want to join the network, then please go to uh, danastingregory.com forward slash podcast, join our mailing list, and we'll make sure we can get the content direct to you, irrespectively of what the content platforms decide to do with our content. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you. I'll see you later this week. Uh, bye for now. Thank you.